Welcome to Ignite Your Influence Podcast, where we ask all the hard-hitting questions. That question is completely off balance. I'm not going to answer that, so you better be more professional. Ask me something different. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Let's talk about building influence. (laughs) That is Eric Chester, this week's guest on Ignite Your Influence, episode 134. Eric is a professional speaker and has some amazing insights on leading our younger generation and also give us some great insights on reintegrating into the workforce and how now post pandemic things have changed a little bit and we all have different expectations of the workforce. He also talks a lot about leading individuals and gives us some insights on how donkeys can teach you a lot about leading individuals. So listen in and enjoy episode 134. All right, welcome to Ignite Your Influence podcast. I'm here with Eric Chester today. Eric, it's great to have you on the show. And it's good to be with you, Ann. Thanks so much for having me as a guest. I appreciate your time, and I know you're a busy guy. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, Ann, uh, I'm a former high school business teacher and coach turned motivational speaker for teenagers. So I spent probably 10 years uh, standing in gymnasiums, talking to high school kids. And my topic area was careers. You know, we, we send kids to school and oftentimes they have no idea why they're there, especially when they become teenagers. Why am I here? Why am I studying this subject or that subject? Why do I have to be here? I don't really get it, you know? And so my goal was to help teenagers figure out how to get from here to there when they didn't really even know where there was. So what is this thing called career? What does that really look like? And that morphed into working with companies and organizations who are really frustrated with their frontline workforce, many of them teenagers. How do we uh, communicate with them, connect with them, engage with them? They're younger than we are. They came from a different generation and the, you know their attitudes, values, and beliefs are so diametrically different to the ones I hold. And yet, they're reporting to me, what do I do? So I wrote the very first book on millennials that was out there, a management book, but I didn't call them millennials. This was post-Generation X, and my book was called Employing Generation Y, W-H-Y. Why do I have to work on Thursdays? Why do I have to wear that stupid-looking uniform? And hey, wait a second, I've been here three days. Why can't I have your job? So that that book kind of launched me into working with a lot of different companies and organizations, helping them understand the new generation. And that's morphed over the past 20 years to where it's not just young people. It's just this new workforce with different attitudes, values, beliefs. Some of them are retirees. Some of them are just come from different backgrounds. And and so I try to help business leaders, owners and managers know how to find, develop and recruit frontline workers, the people that do the jobs that oftentimes are not that sexy. So that's what I write about. That's what I speak about. And I'm just lucky to be in this space. I just didn't, I just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, and it's so necessary. And because I know a lot of people do struggle with that, with, with the new people coming into the workforce. I mean, I remember I was a disaster in my twenties. So, so often we attribute it to generational differences when I think some of it's just young people not knowing. And, and so how do you, what are some of the secrets that you share with managers on how people managers on how to get these younger people in the not so sexy roles, excited about their job and excited about showing up? Well, I I think, first of all, uh, understand that, you know, from from the 
early caveman days, cavemen were probably trying to figure out why their kids were different. It, <laughs> right. you, you said I was a mess in my 20s. I was a mess in my 20s. Right. right? I mean, and 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 in my teen, I'm, I'm probably still a mess. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're just different. I mean, my dad would probably look at me now going, son, you know, you, you know you're not you're, you're not working the way I want you to work. And, and so, first of all, understand that new generations tend to think differently. So there's this mantra that we've all heard. I mean, if you've been to, it, you've probably heard it a zillion times. It says, if you do what you've always done, you'll go ahead and finish that, Ann. You'll get what you've always got. And that's 100% true if you're a plumber or a tree surgeon, because pipes and trees don't change much. People have. So the mantra should be, if you do what you've always done, you're out of business. You can't look at your incoming workforce merely as younger versions of yourself or miniature versions of yourself or more naive versions of yourself. Because you don't just say, hey, tell you what, I'm going to do to them what was done unto me. And that's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Well, that works great if everybody you hire is exactly like you. They like the same things you like. They're just miniature versions of you, but they're not. So guess what? It's not the golden rule. It's the platinum rule. Do unto others as they want done unto them. So that puts the onus on us as leaders to really understand, try to figure out, you know, who, who are these people like? Well, I can't just make assumptions because somebody, you know, is a different age than I am, a different gender, has a different, you know, goes to a different church, has a different skin color. So, hey, I know those people and here's my management philosophy for those people. Can't do that. You got to turn around and go, wait a second. I have to really work hard to understand those people, where they're from, what color their world is, what they think and I'm going to do the best to manage them to levels of higher productivity and performance based upon those factors. Right. And, and it, generalizations don't work either. Right. I mean, it's individuals. It is individuals. It is individual. For me, you know, I wrote a book back in uh, 2012 and it was called Reviving Work Ethic, A Leader's Guide to Ending Entitlement and Restoring Pride in the Emerging Workforce. Because so many people were saying today's youth today and youth was anything younger than them have no work ethic. Now, is that true? Can we say that, hey, everybody that's younger than you or I and that, that would be I'd look at you. You're obviously younger than me. You have no work ethic because you're younger than me. That is an assumption. It's painting with a broad brush. It's a stereotype that just isn't accurate. There are young kids out there that have an incredible work ethic, and there are people my age and older that never got the menu. You can't make those general, general statements. You have to understand the individual, and that that's why it becomes so much a, a, a skill to learn how to read people initially. When you make the hire, understand who they are, understand you know, what you're looking for and try to connect the dots. It's not an easy thing. It's not a, here, let me give you three simple tips. And from then on, your employee challenges will forever go away. No silver belt there, Ann. Mm. So how, what, how do you tap into that? You know, because one of the things that we hear is that people are a lot more private. They don't want to share their personal information. Blah, blah. So how do we tap into that without stepping over the line? 
You know, I think it's, first of all, uh, you know, incumbent upon us to really understand the positions we're trying to hire for, right? What What is it that we need this person to do? You know, if it, it's no different than buying a piece of technology. If somebody came to you and said, hey, I need to buy a computer, would you say, well, go get this one? You first have to understand what is that person going to use their computer for, right? Are they going to be on it, you know, five minutes a day? Is it something that's going to be an integral part of their life? Do they need it for their work? Are they just trying to occasionally buy something off Amazon? Once you understand what that person is going to use that tool for and you derive that information, then you're more equipped to say, hey, these are some models that I would check out now using that same analogy, what about when it comes to people? What is it we're trying to, what is it we're trying to hire, right? So we look at our workforce and we go, okay, I lost, lost person A, I need someone to do that job. Do you? Think, do I really need someone to do that job or do I need someone to do, to handle a variety of tasks that become this? So what tasks are those? And if I prioritize them, what's the most important? I could live with somebody who maybe doesn't understand PowerPoint. I can't live without somebody who, uh, you know, truly understands how to fix a copy machine or whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. These are the tasks that I most rely on. Once you really understand that job description, then you kind of look and go, well, have I had somebody that was super successful in that position before, right? Do I know people, or, or uh, if I did, if that person got zapped by a gamma ray into outer space and I had to go to the police and say, hey, help me find this person, give me, the, the police would say, well, let's draw a sketch. Well, we're not talking about a physical sketch. We're talking about what do they do? What, uh, what are their skills? And then you start looking going, wait a second, how did I find that individual? Uh, what, what is it unique about them? What were their likes and dislikes? How did they interview? What, what, how did I know that that person was magic for that position? Once I put that together, it becomes so much easier to find other people that are like that. Where do they go? Where do they live? How, what, what activities are they in? What kind of positions are they looking for, et cetera? Because success leaves clues. Mm, I love it. And and it's so it's not just about the tasks for this job. It's what are the characteristics of that person who was successful in that role? It's so much bigger than what we usually interview for. Exactly. You know, you can't just look at one thing. Boy, I lost a dishwasher. I need someone else to come in and wash dishes. Stop. Think about the expanded tasks right? Think about, well, wait a second. It's not just washing dishes. I want somebody that's got a personality. I want somebody who does this. They've got to be physically capable to do these things. They've got to have the kind of, of personality that's going to fit within this culture. That, 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 that. What, who were my most successful dishwashers, mm-hmm. right? How, what can I learn about those people? How did I find them? Did they answer a you know, an ad I put on Craigslist? Did they come knocking on my door? Were they customers in my restaurant? Did did somebody recommend them, a neighbor, a friend or whatever? How did I find them? Because all of that information right there will help you understand where you can find other people who really excel in this position. And perhaps maybe would be a good bet for long-term employment. Maybe the dishwasher turns around and goes, I'd like to learn how to cook. I'd also like to learn how maybe to take orders or to run the cash register, et cetera. What was it unique about that person? How do I find that? 
because that leaves, that will give you the clues that you need to find other people like that. And, and this is what it always comes down to when it comes to people leadership is it's a, it takes a lot more work, a lot more thought, a lot more strategic thought in dealing with each of the individuals in each of the roles that we need than we'd like it to maybe. Well, of course. And if it didn't take that thought, then all we would do is just go to our computer program, push a button that says make a hire and it would happen. But that's the, that's the essential role of a leader. You know, we're not looking for leaders of things. We're looking for leaders of people. And because the people store has not been cracked, even by virtual, um, you know, by by this uh, AI, you know, (laughs) we don't know exactly. Nobody knows your heart and your soul. The best leaders know their people at a level, right? No, you don't have to ask them personal questions, but you can always have a conversation and If the conversation is one where they feel safe, they'll disclose things that you don't even ask, right? How do I get to know those people because I'm so afraid of asking them these questions? Number one, I might go look at what they post on social media. I'm going to look for clues, you know? Hey, you got any plans this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to go out and and, uh, run a 5K with my dog. Oh, you have a dog. Yeah, it's a rescue. I, I volunteer down at the rescue mission or, you know, the, the dog rescue. Really? What kind of dog? The more questions you ask, the more they disclose. You can find out so much about a, a human being. And that's where the connections happen. It's not just connections about things that they do at work. If you're interested in an individual and you have an open conversation, I can guarantee you those people, everybody wants to share a part of themselves. That's why social media has exploded. We want people to know a side of us. That's why we take pictures of our dinners and post them out there. We want to say, hey, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. That's why we take selfies. Look at me. I'm standing in front of a statue. I'm at home this weekend. I'm, you know, it's like we want people to know us. So just understand that need. Everybody wants to know that somebody else cares about them. And I think that's what it comes down to is showing that you care. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So moving into a little bit, you know, when we talk about engagement and motivation, you're talking about the same stuff from the hiring to the engaging them on the job, moving into the current situation that we're in, that's a little bit unique for most of us leaders is suddenly we're all virtual or suddenly we're coming back into the office. How do we sort of reintegrate? What's, what are you sharing with leaders on how we reintegrate once as COVID sort of fizzles out? I don't know. What is it doing? But it doesn't matter as, as we sort of continue on this pandemic path. Well, I think it's a good time to remind ourselves that things have changed. Attitudes, values, beliefs towards work, job, all of that has changed. And if we come in and start going, here's the law, this is the way we're going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a plan. I'm not saying that you shouldn't set boundaries. I'm saying it's really important at this particular standpoint to be a really good listener, to understand that people have been secluded. Most people feel comfortable because, hey, guess what? I've got no rush hour or, you know, like right now doing this interview with you. Hey, I'm not wearing any pants. I like that. That works great for me. Right. And I know you're not either. So there we go. Right. No, seriously, people feel comfortable in their own home environment. Now we're asking them to say, leave your home and come back to work. Well, that's a change for me. Wasn't I doing a good job at home? Did you not like what I was doing? That's not the point. The point is, 
we're, when we're together, we produce more. That's the synergy. It's not a bunch of individual parts out there. We're synergistic. We can grow better. So whether that's full-time here in the office, whether it's a hybrid, you're going to be at some at home, some in the office, or whether you're going to be completely and totally virtual and stay that way, you know, understanding where people are coming from, what their fears and apprehensions are, being able to address those things, listening, and then connecting based upon that. That's going to make you a, a far more effective leader. It all comes down to empathy for others, putting yourself in their shoes and saying, you're not me. Let me ask you about you because I don't know. And, and, and I tell you, if uh, I was not a born orator, um, I, I've, I've now delivered over 3,000 live paid keynote speeches, if that's what you want to call them. And, and more of those have gone awry than have gone well. I mean, if I were to admit it, they don't all go great. I mean, I'm far from this. My only gift has been one of empathy. I always understand. I, I try so hard to ask so many questions of the people who are holding the meeting or the event about the people I'm going to be addressing. What are their fears? What are their hopes or dreams? What, what, give me a really, you're going to introduce me to the audience, right? Right now, I want you to introduce, introduce the audience to me. Because mm -hmm. if I know who they are, what challenges. So I would always research the high schools I was watching. Hey, I'm, I'm in front of these people now for 45, 50 minutes, maybe an hour. And, and so tell me a little bit about the school. What, what issues and problems are you having? Where, uh, what kind of focus, who have you had as a presenter before? What, what will I be walking into? I want to know that. It's the same thing for a leader. A leader has to know their, uh, what's going on. What's the environment? Where are people coming from? Because if you use that key word you brought up, empathy, which Stephen Covey reminded us in his uh, renowned book, Seven Habits, seek to understand before trying to be understood. And oftentimes leaders come in and go, okay, I'm the new leader. Okay, everyone, take a knee. That's the old football talk. Today, I'm going to just tell you how we're going to run things around here. And it's the quickest way to disconnect yourself. So as you come back into this environment and you bring your teams around, yes, have meetings, pull people together. But first and foremost, really try to understand, try to really understand what people have gone through, where they're coming from. Some of them want to be there. Some of them wanted to be home. What's going on? And if you can really understand that mindset, then and only then will you be able to connect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that listening piece comes up again and again as we're talking about building influence. I mean, obviously, that's that's one of the big ones. Um, so shifting gears just a little bit, because you are a speaker. You've been speaking for a long time. Hall of Fame, certified speaking professional. Um, how do you create that influence from the instant you stand on the stage? I mean, obviously, doing the research knowing the audience, knowing, being able to speak to their fears. Uh, but is there any other secret to building influence immediately with a group of people you only get to lead for an hour? Yeah, I've, uh, I've become a real student of this game, um, you know, and, uh, and when I say this game, this profession, it's, it's not a game. But my talent comes from watching people do it right and, and uh, a number of speakers get it wrong. I've never been a fan of the speaker that stands in front of an audience with the aura of, uh, here's all I am, here's all I have. And if you do everything I tell you, then someday you can be like me. I, I'm so 
<laughs> repulsed by that mentality, that attitude. And if I'm repulsed by it, I think there's other people that are repulsed. Now, some people probably sit back and go, oh, I want what you have. Tell me. And they might throw a few self-effacing things in there. Hey, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you have a special gift or talent. Okay. So what connects me is humility, right? And and um, it connects with me is when I see somebody on stage, be authentic, be real, not be canned, right? And just be, be present, be present mm -hmm. and know who I am and what I'm dealing with. That sounds easy. It's actually very difficult. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're given five presentations within a seven day period of time. Don't you just go out and do the same presentation five different times and insert the company's name there? Not if you really care about the audience, you'll do more. You'll, you'll do more than customize. You'll build from the inside out. Same thing when you're a leader. If you treat everybody exactly the same and you have, you know, 32 cliches and you're pulling out cliche number 16 in this situation and cliche number 27 in that situation, people go, that's not real. You really don't understand me. And most people leave a job, right? Same reason I used to get asked, why are there so many dropouts? Because the, the system forgot they didn't see them drop in. There was no connection. There was no, wow, we care about you. It was, we're going to, you're in now, you're, you're part of a, a, you're in a factory and you're a droid and you're going to go through the system and do everything we require so we can finish you off and spit you out at the end. That kind of mentality destroys people. Now, there was a time in life where it worked, right? You get way more uh, uh, job openings or excuse me, you get way more people applying for jobs and jobs are available. The bosses have control and they can say, when I say jump, you say how high. Right. But that hasn't been the way for a long and it's not going to be the way when people come back Especially into work. Now. Yeah, right. So now it's like when I say jump, they're going to say why. Hi. <laughs> why are we doing it this way? Why do I have to come back in the office? Why are you making me do these ridiculous tasks? Why do I have to put part A into part B? Why do I have to follow that procedure? Why do I have to wear a coat and tie to the office? Or why can't I bring my dog? Why, why? If you don't know why, don't give them the what. Mm. Don't give them the what if you don't know the why. And if you do, take time. Any moms who are on this will understand and get frustrated because they remember when their mom said, <laughs> when, when their mom said, go clean your room. So. Right, go clean your room. And what did mom say? And, and what, said, what did you say? You said why? <laughs> and then what did mom say? Because I said so. <laughs> now, moms will tell you because I said so is broken. It doesn't work anymore. The kid goes, yeah, because you said so. So what? We become frustrated. We grew up in an environment where, bam, because I said so worked. Doesn't work anymore. That doesn't make young people worse. That doesn't mean they're all little snotty brats. It means they've grown up in a different time mm -hmm. and they want, they, they want some definition to their lives. Why do you want me to clean my room? Oh, remember when you, your friends were over last week and they wanted to go skateboarding and you couldn't go because you couldn't find your skateboard. And then after they left, uh, we spent, you know, 20 minutes in your room and underneath that big pile of stuff, there was your skateboard. See when your room is clean, everything's organized. You can find it and you can find what you need very quickly. 
Uh, do, you re do you remember when you caught a cold and you were sneezing and you got a stomach flu? That's germs and bacteria. Why? Because all those gum wrappers, candy and stuff, it starts to attract, you know, uh, undesirable things in your room. And odds are that creates viruses and, 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 and disease. And so when your room is clean, it's so much easier to stay healthy. In other words, give them a reason. What's well, the same thing when you're in, in, the, uh, in, in a managerial mm -hmm. position? Mm -hmm. People want some definition. They don't want to say, oh, just because you said so, because you're holding the paycheck. And if I don't do what you want me to do, mm. I won't get this check, this promotion, this attaboy. I won't get it. Wait a second. How about appealing to me? Tell me how I win in that scenario, how we all win. How is this good for you, me, the company, the brand, the customer, whoever I'm serving? When all of those points matter and they matter to me. Not just because I make more money and get a job or get an advancement in my role, but if they matter, I'm creating a better world, a better environment. It's easier for my coworkers, my teammates. It's easier for the brand I work for. I feel better at night. When all of that stuff aligns, wow, I'll, I'll walk, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the wall for you. And from a management's perspective, if I'm thinking about succession planning, I want somebody to know the deeper understanding of why we're doing our business so that as they are ready for promotions and growth, they know why we're doing what we're doing and they can put those pieces together. Bingo. Bingo. Couldn't have said it better, Ann. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give you, the, give you the why there, right? So, I mean, it all comes in as we're talking about caring about people. This is why there's so much talk about inclusion, inclusion in decisions, inclusion in, you know, the, the rules that are made and why we're doing things. And I, I saw a connection there. Do you ever make that connection when you're talking about motivation and engagement with inclusion? Yeah, I do. And, it, and sometimes it's hard because we get a lot of, in today's world, we get a lot of inclusion forced upon us. Mm. You have to hire this way. You've got to bring this person in. You know, you can't hire person A because they're not diverse enough. You got to hire person B. You've got to understand. It, it's hard. It's not an easy thing. Um, by the same token, the more that you understand, the more you separate yourself from, you know, in your own personal views from that situation and understand it, it does in the long run. It, it makes good sense. We need more inclusivity. We really do. We need it because our customers demand it. The general public demands it. We demand it in the workplace and it makes us better. The diversity gives us the strength that we need to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people feel like they belong at the table rather than if we are truly creating that inclusive environment where we truly care about the individuals on the team, they will then, like you said, give their all. They'll go to the wall for you. That's exactly right, Ann. I love it. Are you actually wearing pants? Um, I, the next question <laughs> you're going to ask me is, are you sure that's your real hair? And I'm going <laughs> to answer both of those questions. Um, yes and no, but in no particular order. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so leaders today, emotional intelligence is a big buzzword. Where do you think that comes into all of this? Well, emotional intelligence is probably a, a great two-word definition for empathy. It mm -hmm. really is understanding somebody and understanding that people are different from you. If if all of us were wired exactly like uh, alike, there would be no need for emotional intelligence. You would just turn mm -hmm. around and go, well, they're just like me. Everyone's just like me. I like ice cream. Everybody likes ice cream. 
right? I like to to uh, get to sleep in in the morning and I like to stay up late at night and watch talk shows. That's what I like to do. I like to play video games and, and you know, uh, cheer for the favorite home team and and have my, my uh, fa- not everybody's like that. So emotional intelligence says, wait a second, look beyond yourself, right? Uh, it, it, it will, I don't really use this analogy, except when I'm speaking to a wife or a kid, it's like, do you have a windshield view where you're just looking out the front windshield and that's your view? Or are you able to look at yourself? Do you have that, that mirror, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just a rear view mirror, it's pointing at you so that you can look and go, and here's how the world sees me. So maybe the problem isn't out the front window. Maybe the problem is here. If I'm, if I'm struggling in this, could it be me? And how can I become a better version of myself? I think great leaders are always asking that question. They're always asking for feedback. They want to know unvarnished. They're not defensive. They're not turning around going, wait a second. You didn't see me yet. It's not being defensive. It's Mm -hmm. being, it, it's it's using your heart to say, you know what, if this person sees me this way and it's inaccurate, I'm not really that way. What am I doing to put forth that vibe mm. and how can and, I be different? Mm-hmm. And it's the willingness to look at that, too, because that's all we can control ultimately is what we're doing. Willingness. Love mm. it. I love Absolutely. it. Yeah. Well, last question for you. I know that that Lori, your wife, has some influence over you because you recently added some new little creatures to your family. So tell us a little bit about what's happening at home and how you think she has such influence uh, over. You know, you say a little influence. It's it's not a little influence. <laughs> my, my wife came to me. We, we have uh, uh, some some property. And, you know, since we moved into this house, she's told everybody boy, I hope someday we can have a donkey. And I just kind of put it aside. I mean, a donkey, I mean, come on, we're not a farm. I mean, I'm, you can have dogs. I mean, she loves animals. We have a couple of dogs and we've had cats. And we're, Okay, no farm animals. We're not. So I finally put down my foot. I did. I put it down. I said, honey, let me tell you, it takes two you know, keys to fire that missile. I put my foot down and absolutely we are not going to have a donkey. So we now have four donkeys. And um, it's like we, we compromised. We didn't have a donkey. We got four of them. Uh, honestly, it's been one of the greatest uh, things we've ever done. We just absolutely love these little animals. They are so, we have miniature donkeys, which, you know, are about three, three and a half feet high. They weigh 200 to 300 pounds. Um, they're the most lovable animals in the world. They're very smart. The reason that they're slow is because they're constantly looking, evaluating. You have to have such a level of trust with donkeys because the reason they're stubborn is they don't do anything that they might think will hurt them. So you have to gain their trust. Are people any different? I mean, seriously, you can learn so much from a donkey. So we do. We 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 spend a lot of time with these. We had three, and one of them got pregnant. Uh, I'll tell you. I will give you a secret. It was the female, and 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 so now we got this little three and a half week old donkey that just is is the cutest thing. You can pick them up. You can hold them. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But it has been a real godsend in our life, and I think I've learned a lot about humanity from trying to understand donkeys, right? Trying to really understand who they are and what they do. But so we just have this great addition to our life. And I appreciate you asking that. It's, it's been a real blast. 
Well, it's 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 a testament to your willingness to trust and say, all right, let's go do this. And uh, and the influence that she has created with you over the years. Well, that. Eric, if people want to find out about working with you, how do they get in touch with you? Just the name Eric Chester, E-R-I-C-C-H-E-S-T-E-R, ericchester.com. Books, references, anything I can do. Uh, my email address is really hard to remember because it's eric at ericchester.com. Mm-hmm. So if you want to reach me, ask me a question or whatever, I'm happy to do that. Um, just thanks for having me as a part of your uh, your podcast. Uh, you're just such a delightful person and a very inspiring person. And I, I just, I, I, I had to jump at it when you invited me on this podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your wisdom and sharing your insights with us. Eric, have an awesome day. Thank you. You do the same. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Ignite Your Influence podcast with Eric Chester. What a blast. Great insights on leading younger people and leading individuals. And that's the key, is there's no secret sauce to leading humans. Each of us are individuals. Each of us want to be treated like that. And if we treat individuals as individuals, will have that influence. So go out there, be a great leader, be a thoughtful leader, be an empathetic leader, and I will see you next week.